Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. This is Jim Towns, one of your hosts, and I'd like to thank you for showing up for uh, what should be a kind of a fun episode as we discuss 1946's The Brute Man, which is, I, get, I use the analogy of the, the tree that is universal horror and you know, some of the mainstays, the main branches of the tree, like Dracula, Frankenstein are probably, you know, the, the base of the tree. And then you get into Son of Frankenstein and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Ghost of Frankenstein and some of those that are up on the, the branches, Son of Dracula, what have you. And then we talk about some of these films that are way out on the edge. These, these, these pieces of fruit that are way on the edge of the tiniest little twigs, way out on the side of it. And if there's, if there's such a creature, the Broodman is definitely one of those. Um, it's it's uh, all but forgotten in many quarters. Um, just rarity. It's uh, weird and wild and neat. It's a sequel to a film that's almost as unknown as it. Uh, and I can't wait to talk about it with my co-host, Livio Marino. Hey, Livio. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, this is one that... I, so I when we started the podcast more than a year ago, I basically demanded that House of Horrors was going to be one of the first things we we did. And I think it was, it was like the fourth film we did or something. I think we did Dracula, Man-Made Monster, which is another one I insisted on with Scott. Um, and then uh, Invisible Man, I think maybe. And then, and then uh, House of Horrors. Cause I, I've, I always loved it. Uh, I'm a huge Rondo Haddon fan uh, from way back. Uh, I just, I think he's a unique entity that will never will never see the like of him again. And I think it was just it's amazing that we do have a record of this very interesting gentleman and uh, and his talents. Um, but I had not seen Brute Man except for I think I think we've discussed this on some previous episodes. Uh, the only way I'd ever seen Brute Man was as a episode of mystery science theater 3000 like in the 90s and then and then now it's it's available on the internet and it took a little doing to find it and i finally be, be I, I found it you know on amazon and ordered a dvd and it's a it's kind of a printed on demand dvd um that i it it played on one of my dvd players and didn't on another so i had to digitize it and send it to livio so livio could watch the movie and and also because livio had you seen this before this this is your first time seeing it right yeah so this is this is a rare some you know case <laughs> that it's something that i i watched for the very first time today yeah i love it which is great and there's a good reason i think that a lot of people haven't seen this it's because so the film comes out in 1946. It's again the sequel to House of Horrors, and right at the time it's coming out, uh, Universal Pictures, Universal Studios is merging with International Pictures to form Universal International, which is if you watch Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, that's the logo that comes up is Universal International. It's a new conglomerate type thing uh, uh, of a studio uh, entity, and I guess there was a decision made based on what I've read that when that happened, the new 
powers that be decided that the they didn't want to be in the B movie business anymore. They were just going to make A pictures. So I think uh, I know for a fact, Brutman, and I think probably a couple other projects they had going at the time got orphaned and they, they basically sold it to uh, uh, it's, it's PRC, right? It's, it's the yeah. uh, Pro- producers. Yeah, it's, it's uh, PR- I always call it poverty row. <laughs> Cause that's poverty, what it's, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's its nickname. It's, it's, it's poverty row uh, cinemas, which, which, so there were, you know, there's the studio, just like now, there's the studios and then there's the indies, uh, uh, the studios that make things. And now, while you would talk about Lionsgate or or um, uh, Anchor Bay or some of these other uh, uh, studios, that smaller studios that make horror movies that aren't necessarily some of the big studios, um, back then, there was it was the same deal. There was Universal and Paramount and Warner Brothers and, and the big the big guys. And then there were these these smaller studios that they called Poverty Row because they produced smaller budget films. Um, uh, they did a lot of westerns. Poverty Row, what they but they did they, Olivia. There's like they did a Lugosi film or two. I think he was in some stuff. Oh yeah, um, they, they did several. Um, they uh, did Devil Bat, I think. Right, I think so. Yeah, and yeah, I, I get a little fuzzy on what studio did what for for some of the the cheaper made right. uh, films around this time. But yeah, I know. Uh, Lugosi was in several. Um, there's other ones like I think it's called The Mad Monster with George Zuko yes. and Glenn Strange, and that's right. A lot of uh, yeah. just a lot of little kind of one-off ones like that. There's there's one that um, maybe we can talk about at one point. I forget. I think it's PRC that made this, but it's called Fog Island with Lionel Atwell yes. and George Zuko, which is actually a pretty I, good pretty good movie. <laughs> I would love to talk about Fog. Do do an episode on Fog Island at some point. That'd be really fun. And I. I as a guy who, um, I try not to go too into what I do for a day job on the show because for whatever reasons, but um, as a day job, I make horror movies and I've made a five or six of them. And uh, and I don't, full disclosure, I don't work with huge budgets. I I, I don't make my movies for nothing, but, but I don't have the budget of, say, a, a, a film that would come out from one of the studios. So, uh, I enjoy these films. I like these films that are challenged to perform with limited means, limited budgets, limited limited time, uh, limit you know x amount of talent, whatever talent they can afford. Um, just because it's the ingenuity of of the thing, it's 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 the inventiveness and it's the the resourcefulness of how to tell a really compelling story, a really dramatic story with really interesting characters and really you know dynamic action in it. Uh, you know, on a <laughs> on a limited budget and limited time schedule. So um, having said that, this film not being produced by PRC, I would argue it, it, it it's probably one of the best films PRC ever released just because it was, wasn't was produced by PRC, it was produced by Universal. So it has, right. you know, Jack Pierce doing, uh, at least attached, doing makeup for it. It's got Salter's music from Wolfman in it. It's It's really hilarious. Yes. Yeah. No. Even you know, like Vera West did the did the gowns. You know, Ben Pivar right, produced, right. Gene Yarbrough directed. So you you exactly, have the yeah you have the Universal crew here, and I don't right. I think, um, yeah, kind of like what you said just a bit ago that I don't think it was sold to PRC until after, um, it, pretty much it's been completed. Yes. Yes, I I believe it was it was done and ready to release, and then this this deal went through, and and this film got basically orphaned, uh, and and sold off. So yeah, anyway, um, 
All right. The Brute Man, 1946, everybody. Rondo Haddon stars as the Creeper uh, in the sequel to uh, 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 House of Horrors, the, which was done just a, little, a few months before this. Um, the Creeper's a giant killer. Uh, he's got a malformed face and a twisted heart, and he's on a quest for revenge for something that happened a long time ago, <laughs> apparently. Um, while he's on this quest for revenge and murdering his way towards uh, towards the people that that he believes did him wrong. Uh, he happens to make friends with a blind piano teacher and we get to see a softer side of the creeper as well as <laughs> yes. his more sinister side. Uh, it's so, it's an interesting uh, combination. It's, a, it's an interesting idea. It's probably the only universal film horror film that has a football sequence in it. Do you think I'm right there? Livio? <laughs> Probably one of the only universal horror films that has any type of sports reference. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, right. <laughs> um, and and it's funny because the 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 football scene sort of is is necessary to the plot. It, it's a it's a key factor. Without the football in it, I, I you know I don't know how this story you know would it changes uh, uh, based on what happened with the football scene. So we're just I'm, Livia. When we get to that, we'll defer to you because you know more much more about football than i i'm not much of a sports fan um <laughs> you can give us your take uh ron O'Hadden, of course uh stars as the creeper and, and this is more or less the only film he really is top billed i mean he he's the title character you know in in, in house of horrors he's he's a he's, he shares the screen um and and in all of his other films he, he made he's always sort of makes an appearance this is really his film and it's very sad. Um, Rondo Hatton did, he suffered from agromegaly. Uh, it's a glandular pituitary disorder, I think, or thyroid disorder. Um, it caused the appearance that, that we associate with Rondo Hatton. He had very exaggerated features, uh, facial, hands, uh, extremities, everything. Um, it also shortened his life. He died very young, and he died before either House of Horrors or this film was released. So he never lived to get to see these films uh, come out, which is a shame, because I is. wonder... Uh, well, obviously it's a shame. Just I wish you could have seen him, but I, I, it's a shame just wondering where his career would have gone after this. And if they would have, even though Universal didn't want to like release these films, would they have made more of them? Would there have been more creeper movies? We don't know. So, well, and it's, it's interesting. So do you think that this is a sequel or a prequel to house of horrors? I believe this was produced first. But House of yes. Horrors ended up being released first, still under the Universal really? uh, ban banner. Um, oh, and then this one I, was farmed we, out to to PRC. But because I know I, I know House of Horrors, you know, um, Martin Kosleck finds the creeper kind of swimming yes. on the as if he got away from the cops. And, and yes, when I when I think about just kind of the lo logistics of how this how the brute man ends and how House of Horrors begins, I, I wonder if. If this is more or less like like a prequel, like if you were to watch Brute Man right, and right. then House of Horrors, I don't know. Scott and I discussed that on our uh, House of Horrors episode, which, by the way, guys, our House of Horrors episode is still available. You can go back through our, our list of podcasts and find it and listen to it just like it was done yesterday. Um, uh, but we talked about this, Livia, how, how this film, it it's very interesting because it could easily function as a prequel to House of Horrors, and then it could just as easily um, uh, fo work as as a sequel because at the end of House of Horrors, even though um, uh, the the creeper has been shot, 
uh, we do have this dubbed in line of one of the cops going like, like, oh, we better get this guy to a hospital. So there's yeah. <laughs> the implication that, that he, he lives at the end, um, which I, yeah, I would have to, that's very interesting. Olivia. I would have to check the production dates and see which of these was shot first and which was shot afterward. But, but they, regardless, they were shot very close to each other. I don't think, I'm sure one of them was being edited while the next one was being shot. Even it was, it was a very, probably so really cranking the stuff out. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, cause it was completed in 1945. Um, uh, Ron dies in February 46 and the films then released afterwards. Um, and somewhere during that time is when this whole, uh, international, Universal International thing happens and, and they, they dump it over there. So I don't know. And I don't know if that had anything to do with Ronald Hatton not being, not, not be any being alive anymore to, to be, you know, the featured whatever, uh, for the film or not. Um, there's a book coming out. I have this at the end of my notes, but I kind of wanted, I should mention it now. Uh, I was not aware of this book. It's uh, by an author named Scott Gallinghouse. It's called Rondo Hatton Beauty Within the Brute. Um, I've not read it. I don't know where it's available. I don't know if it's on Amazon or something, but I plan to get this and read some, read up some more on, uh, on, on Mr. Haddon and, uh, and maybe some of the answers that we're kind of batting around will be answered in that. Yeah. I've, I've, I've not read it myself. It, it's on my list, but, um, I know that it's, it's got a lot of, of high praise. Um, okay. And, and yeah. actually I, I think it, it's in one of the, one of the shout factory, Universal horror sets that it's either House of Horrors. Um, well, yeah, I guess it would have to be House of Horrors. Um, uh, Scott Gallinghouse actually does commentary on on that movie, and he he talks a lot about Rondo. Oh, Hatton. for real? Okay. Um, so I, I would, if if anyone wants a, I guess a taste of of the level of research that that he did um, for Rondo Hatton, go listen to that audio commentary because it is extremely fascinating and, and very very detailed. And, that's impressive. That's yeah, that's neat. Yeah, and just just from a quick search here, it looks like House of Horrors went into production September 1945 and The Brute Man okay. was um I think August 1945 if I'm reading this right. Either August or November. I think they're almost back to back. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. That's interesting. Um uh, Universal figured out what they had and stuff. Um, some other and and I don't like to get too into trivia on on the show because obviously everyone can, you guys can all look up whatever trivia you want on IMDb or Wikipedia or whatever. But um, something I did note that uh, Rondo Hatton's signature apparently is very very rare and very sought after as far for uh, for people who collect that kind of thing. So that's which makes sense because there would have been a very limited time where he was probably being asked to sign things. So there you go. Um. That'd be a cool thing to have, man. Yes, it would. Rondo. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, we get into the Brute Man. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> the the opening credits. We see uh, a lot the 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 familiar lurking shadow of of the creeper with his incredibly broad shoulders. Uh, that very telltale um, flat brimmed hat he wears, which, uh, that's been cited in other things. People, there's, I've, I saw in the name check section of, of Wikipedia that the, uh, Stephen King or somebody talks about the, 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 the flat brimmed hat, like the creeper wears or something. So yeah. Um, the, the telltale thing, um, again, yeah. Produced by Ben Pivar, uh, who, who's producing all most of Universal's horror at this point and directed by Gene Yarbrough, who directed the, uh, the original house of horrors as well. So yeah, definitely, definitely like kind of brought the team back over. Um, 
yes, this this uh, this film starts with the there's a bunch of police and they're calling in a three four one, which is a murder apparently. Uh, that's their code for that. Um, <clears throat> saying the creepers out on the loose and he's he's you know he's just killed again. Uh, um, so yeah, Livio like like arguing that this could be a sequel to the to the first film. Um, he's already known as the creeper. He's always already notorious, right? He's already like the cops yes. like, Oh, it's the creeper again. We're, um, whatever the city is supposed to be, New York, LA, San Francisco, Michigan. I, I don't know. Um, uh, could be Michigan's not a city. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends this, on your whole viewpoint. You could think of it yeah, as the a city giant of city. Yes. Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Michigan. I know better. Um, I was spoken from a guy who lives in Kansas city, Missouri. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Right. Um, uh, so what's great is that, you know, the cops are all looking for the creeper, but the creeper who, you know, doesn't exactly blend in is just kind of walking around the city, down the sidewalk, through the park, everything. Um, and, but he's mostly headed towards a place called Hampton University. Um, and there he, he kind of peers in a window at a kind of a a victory party for a bunch of kids who are celebrating, I guess, their team beat on the team from another college at some point. Um, and he spooks, uh, these kids, uh, by, by, by seeing them. Um, this is just, I think, I think a lot of the walking scenes and there's a lot of walking scenes in house of horrors with Rondo walking. And there's a lot of scenes in this. Um, the, I'll, I'll get into it a little more maybe, but, but just, a, I, I, I don't know what other monster, let, and and I'm going to sort of call the creeper a, a universal monster just because that is how he was built. That's how they were kind of you know portraying him. I'm not saying Ron O'Han himself obviously was a monster himself, um, uh, but they there was this almost fetishy thing of of you doing these tracking low angle tracking shots and watching the yes. the creeper just walk and and Ron O'Han just has this stride that just you know it's it's part Frankenstein monster and it's part just like like, you know, the Terminator or death robot kind of thing. Like it's inevitable. He's just, he just marches. Like he doesn't walk, he marches. And it's just, um, they spend time with it. And, and just from the beginning here, you know, it's, it's any excuse to get Ron O'Han's again, very interesting, unique face, um, with this, with these harsh lights that slash across it and cast these shadows and it molds it in this way. Like Gene Yarbrough's just shot the heck out of for for movies that were not big budget films he shot the heck out of both of these these uh creeper films that he made they're just they're you know there's there's some scenes that kind of we get through and they're just it's coverage and there's two guys talking and the cops are there and whatever but but there are some scenes that are just artistically gorgeous in this and again it's like he is like noir frankenstein monster right Livio? like i mean really that's what they're doing here Yes, that's that is exactly it. That's a great way. I'm gonna I'm stealing that. I'm gonna describe <laughs> no problem. Strive, describe it. that uh, the Brute Man series is a uh, or the Creeper series is that Noir Frankenstein. Yeah. That's that's exactly what it is he's, because there's he's, no he's Noir Frankenstein. There's man. no supernatural aspect to it in, in any way. You know, it's, he's not a quote unquote uh, monster or, or some undead right. thing. But yes. as far as how his his almost everything else is very much like Frankenstein's monster because there's a lot of sympathy to him as far as how he's looked and and how he's perceived by the general public, his, his obvious brute strength, no pun intended. And just Mm. his, his looks and how, like you said, how they shoot him. He's tall and kind of lurking and lumbering and stiff armed and all of that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, the way he's pretty, which, 
Ron O'Hadden, um, when you really look at him in some of the scenes, you realize that Ron O'Hadden was not an incredibly tall guy. He he wasn't short, but he wasn't um, uh, he wasn't a gigantic man. He might have been I don't know. It looks like maybe about five ten, five five eleven at at most probably. Um, and and the oversized size of his head and hands sort of works against him looking tall. It's very it's tricky from a shooting standpoint. Um, to make him seem as gigantic as possible. And of course they bulked out his shoulders and we've seen others like, like Livio when we did uh spider woman, um, when I did spider woman, I'm sorry, but did that with, with Ian, uh, you can see when he's not padded up, Ron Hatton was not this incredibly broad guy. He was a normally proportioned, you know, man, but right. they've, they bulked up his shoulders with these kind of like football pad looking things and with the hat and everything like that. They, they create a silhouette that when you see it, that's what I'm, I'm I guess I'm trying to say is like, there's a silhouette, when you see it, you're like, that's the creeper. Like he, it's very recognizable. They gave him a, a unique hat and the shoulders and everything. It's really cool, man. Um, he's coming for you. Uh, specifically, he's he's coming for um, Joan Bemis at this point, uh, who he's kind of surprises as she's seeing some people off from a party right near the university, and he's like, Joan, and and, <laughs> and she's like, Who are you? And he's like, and. He's he's like it's Hal, so he introduces himself by his name, and this is the film where we realize that that the creeper's real name is Hal Moffat. Yes, um, and he was a college football star, uh, which interestingly, uh, Ron O'Han also was a football player in high school. So they kind of Universal starts with this film. Universal starts kind of mining the glory and kind of the tragedy of. Rondo Han's own life. Yeah, it, it is. It and, is. And, and amalgamating into the Creepers' backstory, which is really interesting and maybe a little icky. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I, I got that same sense because it's it's so eerily similar. And, and some of the lines that he says we get on through the movie, you know, he's like, well, I bet you don't remember. You look how I look now, you know, and, and you're not scared of me because of how I look. You know, it's kind of like focused on that. Right. But literally his, his backstory is, I mean, if you looked up, pictures of Rondo Hatton when he was a younger man. He was he was a normal looking, attractive, you know, younger man. And and you're right. He he was into sports. He loved baseball. He, he played football. Yeah. I mean he he's yeah. he unfortunately fought in World War One, yeah. you know. He he just unfortunately uh, had had this this disorder, I guess, for lack of a better term, yeah. that that just changed his appearance as as time went on. Exactly. And in in adulthood, yeah, he he had a very normal childhood. He was voted handsomest boy in his school, man. I mean, it's yeah. so, <laughs> it's, and I think that's what fascinates me, and I I'm, I know thousands and thousands of other people uh, about Rondo is the the idea of like the tragedy that this guy dealt with in in life, this misfortune, this you know, just happenstance medical condition he had that 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 took took the life he had and altered it forever but then it's it's the way he chose to kind of lean into that and embrace it and use it and and sort of um i'll just say like kind of give mother nature the finger right right (laughs) and say oh yeah you're gonna do this to me well watch this and he uses that and becomes legendary and famous there's a one of the most prodigious awards you can win in the horror 
you know, world is, is a Rondo Hatton award. They're, ha- they're held every year. We're, uh, our podcast was up for one uh, last year and we lost um, to Gilbert Gottfried, the late great Gilbert Gottfried, which yes. we have, we, we're totally fine with losing. Absolutely. Gilbert. That was great. <laughs> um, but I, this year I think we, we got him beat. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. Cause if not this year, I'm holding a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> now we're doing something so wrong. Gilbert would have found that funny. Um, okay. Uh, but but yeah no it's but he really did uh again like he 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 I mean you can say you can take take lemons and make lemonade or whatever you know uh uh, uh you know homily you want to apply to it but yeah exactly he he just it's there's the there's a willpower that that went through this guy that that dictated the course of his his career that's that's really interesting and and very very unique especially in in the film business it's really really cool um uh he uh yeah, so so Joan Bemis does finally recognize him, um, and he break he, he grabs her and kills her. Yeah, um, and we we hear he breaks her back. This is a this is a, a trademark of the creeper that we know from from House of Horrors that the creeper uh, basically crushes people. He kind of grabs them and bends them backwards to the point where their spine snaps, and that's the the terrifying power of you know this this man. He's so strong he can woman or man or whatever he can just break your back uh, and and kill you. So that's his. Women, yeah, and again, women or men, he doesn't discriminate. He 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 kills women in in House of Horror, left, right, and center, and he he, he does the same thing here. Uh, yeah, he's not he's an equal opportunity homicidal maniac. There you go. <laughs> he You're is not sexist, and, and even in I think House of Horrors, I mean, kind of starts out in a, a similar way because you you have it's actually Virginia Bruce that goes walking down the street and um, runs into the right. creeper, and he just he <laughs> he kills the, her, the woman of the night, who yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, I mean, and he, you know, it's, it's this thing where he, he kills, uh, when it's, it's profitable for him or convenient for him. He, he, in, in House of Horrors, Martin Kozlak kind of sends him on some missions and he does it as a way of saying thank you to Martin Kozlak kind of feeds him and takes care of him. Um, so he's kind of, Martin, that guy's like hitman. But again, like, like with the, the woman of the night in House of Horrors, like sometimes he doesn't like the way someone looks at him and there he goes. And he does that to the pawn shop guy in this movie too. He just like, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, um, he, he gets mad when people are afraid of him. Um, <laughs> cause based on his looks, they, they look at his looks and they're, they judge him based on the way he, he, he looks. He, he, when he says he's ugly. Um, and, uh, but instead of kind of trying to teach him a lesson, he just, uh, yeah, he breaks their, back which kind of proves their point so i'm not sure it's true <laughs> it's not helping his reputation it's not <laughs> um again past this whole thing uh uh the the cops are looking for him uh we have a lot of stock footage of just you know police cars like ripping around corners in the city and a lot of sirens and stuff um in in the film they they, they make heavy use of, of a lot of stock footage uh he uh, the creeper escapes into an alley um He's looking for a way to escape. He's kind of boxed in. There's a door that, that he can't open and stuff. And then he sees a a window open up above and a fire escape that leads up to it. And he climbs the fire escape and gets into this apartment where there's he there's piano music coming from. In the apartment, he finds this beautiful blind woman named Helen, uh, who's playing piano and kind of confronts her. She's a little startled, but she's not immediately afraid of him because she can't see him. It's and it's it's very much the you know. I mean, it, it's universal quoting itself, right? Because it's universal kind of hearkening back to Bride of Frankenstein with the blind hermit and and the monster. It's like a, 
it's like a self-referential kind of moment, but but they let it play further in this. It's interesting. Yes, it does. Um, uh, Helen's played by Jane Adams, uh, and she's yes. definitely de- very lovely. Um, uh, he he uh, he he tells her that people are looking for him, and the cops are searching the the apartment building. Uh, he kind of ducks into the room, and the cops kind of bust into um, Helen's. Uh, apartment without a warrant, I should mention, I guess. <laughs> and they don't even tell her who they are. So it's interesting. And, and spoilers, like towards the end, when when Helen's kind of arrested for trying to pawn some jewelry that the creeper gives her, um, she does, first of all, she doesn't know he's the creeper because she can't see him. And so she doesn't have any idea what he looks like or, or what he's done. And B, she doesn't know the police were after him because the police never identified themselves yeah. when they <laughs> broke into her house. They just barged in like, where's this guy? And she, for all she knows, they're like gangsters. She has no idea. So, so she, you know, not, not being biased by her, by sight, but also being, she's a very innocent soul too. Let's just kind of, we should kind of specify that she's a very gentle character. Uh, she, tends to not assume the worst of of the guy because you can see she it's on the radio that the creeper's killing people and the cops are looking for her. so you could see like someone would maybe put those two things together and be like hey i wonder if that was the guy they were looking for yeah but, it, but uh, she doesn't do that she thinks the best of him yeah i was gonna say that for for a, a single woman living on her own who's blind she's awful trusting of some random guy that just happens to break into her apartment (laughs) definitely she definitely is but i I mean they could not have done a better job at casting this role i i mean i think most people know jane adams from house dracula as is uh the hunchback nina but that's uh, right in this in this movie i i fell in love with her she is she is absolutely amazing And, and it's she's so believable in in her in her gentleness and her willingness to just be there and help out it's it is by far this favorite storyline of mine as this movie plays out yeah she's so she's so charming she's like a tennessee williams character or something you know she's like this blind woman in a tenement house in the 30s who teaches little kids how to play piano and stuff it's just very uh uh yeah exactly and she's obviously everything opposite from the creeper who's a murderer and (laughs) not is 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 traditionally unattractive while she's just you know a a pure soul and she's beautiful and i think as as the film goes on the creeper keeps visiting her and obviously he's he's drawn to her i don't it never gets to the point where i feel like there's like a a romantic or sexual urge you know drive happening on the creeper's part on how moffat's part towards her i think he's just Again, he, I think he's just completely charmed by her because I don't think he's encountered, A, someone who doesn't judge him right off the bat from, yes. based on what he looks like. And B, like, yeah, I, like I said, just the innocence of this this creature, I think he's fascinated by it. And I think it maybe, let's, if I was going to extrapolate, I think may, maybe it reminds him of a time when, you know, his life was better and more innocent as well, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that um, I, I think... Rondo Hatton gets a more of a chance or, or maybe just better dialogue. I don't know, but it, he gets more of a chance to really emote and really act mm-hmm. in this movie compared to house of horrors. I, I felt yeah. like, and the scenes, yeah, I think so. The scenes between him and Jane Adams, like I said, I, I just, I love it. Um, it does and, make the movie. Yeah. And she is so genuine. And then you can, and maybe this is where it, it probably helped where, 
the character of the creeper is so much like Rondo Hatton is right. that you can see that he is genuinely surprised and equally touched that she's just welcoming him and, you know, accepting him for as what he says, you know, he's like, you're not scared of me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, right. well, no, I'm just I'm nervous, but I have no reason to be scared of you, you know, and she's, she is inherently good. So she just tries to help. Him Kai out. who just crawled in my bedroom window at night. <laughs> yeah. I'm not scared of you at all. <laughs> Why would I be scared of you? Well, you know, um, it, it, it's a more innocent era. Um, uh, yeah. And, and again, we, we, and we have this recurring thing where, um, and, and you see this, this kind of called a trope in a lot of, of films where a blind person sort of gets to know what a person looks like by touching their face, by feeling the contours of their face. It's like, um, you know, just it's their, it's their way of seeing what a person looks like. And it, it comes up a couple times where she wants to do this to the creeper. And he's like, no, no, because he knows when she does that, then yeah. she'll, she'll, he, well, he doesn't know he's worried. He's worried that'll change it. I think I, he's like, once, once that happens in his experience, it's all over. So, and he wants to keep visiting her and, and talking to her. So, yeah, you know, um, it never gets too cozy though, which I like They're, it's, they're never sitting down and having tea together or anything. You know, it, it never gets uh saccharine, right? It, it, right. it's, it's, there's always this edge and it plays out really well towards the end, which we'll get to. So, um, Creeper heads out once, once the cops, while the cops are searching, he escapes back out the window. Uh, he's back on the street, uh, puts a note under a grocery store door. And the next day the, the grocer is there with his young assistant, Jimmy. Um, and he gets this note that says like, you know, I need like, you know, some potatoes and a piece of a loaf of bread and some coffee, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and an address to deliver him to. Um, I love the the grocer guy, the old guy. He's the he's the crabbiest old man. <laughs> well, he's just, that's it's actor Oscar O'Shea, and um, you'll recognize him as the old museum night watchman in the Mummy's Ghost, who meets a, a fairly gruesome end with his head pushed through a glass window by Caris. Um, Whoa, yeah. But okay. also, he was in. The 1939 of Mice and Men as the owner of the ranch that Lenny and and George uh, work on. So he's that's he, that's what I know him from. I was trying to remember. I didn't. I didn't there. stop and look him up because I knew you know who he was, Livio. Frankly, and I just depend on you for this kind of thing. <laughs> well, so, good. Um, and I I I'm sure he's in a ton of other stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if he lent his voice to some things and everything because he's got this like. And I'm just he's got a line that I'm just going to imitate him where he's like creeper creeper you give me the creeps he's just yeah. got this like <laughs> very way of speaking he's really funny you give me the creeps uh uh some some good stuff um uh so yeah he sends young Jimmy who he disapproves of you know everything Jimmy does Jimmy's just this this in his eyes this no good you know layabout uh puts a bunch of stuff in 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 the bag for the creeper basically and Jimmy goes down to the waterfront where the creeper is living squatting i'm not sure uh it doesn't specify um in this dwelling <laughs> uh, uh, under the street in this like i don't know it's like it's like brothers they are supposed to like put stuff to fix the boats in or something i'm not sure what the the purpose of the little shack he's living in is but it's not it's not someplace really meant for human habitation it's 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 that he's you know that's his hideout right right and it's i think it's just somewhere that he's found that. No, you know, nobody goes to the nobody, cops yeah, aren't going to yeah. go looking for. And so it's just really kind of out of the way and quiet and right. uh, unsanitary, I would say too. <laughs> yeah, no, right. You can imagine. Um, I, 
now I, I, I will admit I don't, I, I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies from different eras. I, I do watch a decent amount of movies from this era, 1930s, 1940s. But those movies that I watch are predominantly, uh, it, the, the universal movies I watch from that era are the horror movies. I tend not to watch a lot of ones that are non-horror. If I'm going to watch a non-horror thing, I'll watch a, a Bogart movie or something from Warner Brothers or something. So, um, Return of Dr. <laughs> X. <laughs> or, or that, yes. <laughs> you know. um, uh, but so I don't recognize this part of the backlot, or if it is the backlot or if it's another some some other location that Universal used, because um, there's definitely water. It's 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 a dock area. There's boats floating. Um, it looks like it might be on the tank at Universal. I think I think they had a water tank back then. They've got a big one now, obviously, but that that's a latter day uh, thing. I think that came in the '60s, maybe. Um, so I don't know where this is, and all I can wonder is like, it doesn't look anything like what they filmed uh, uh, the boats at for horror island but it might be somewhere in that because they filmed that around this time too horror islands like 45 i think right or 40 no it's like 42 yeah, horror Island's 42 early, or right? 43 one, one of the two yeah because it's right after world war war one world war two starts um so i don't recognize this this location but the budget of the film being what it is it my feeling is this was this location was built for another film and because there's no real reason boats don't really factor into the story in, in any way so there's no real reason why the creeper would be down by the docks unless they they just had these this dock set and we're like hey you know we could put him there and it would look neat and it's kind of like pre pre-production value so my my thinking is sometime in 1945 there was another slightly maybe larger universal film that had this kind of dock location and they left it there for a bit. And someone was like, Oh, Hey, you know, cause it's, it's outside. It's definitely not in on the sound stage. Yeah. And that's a good, good point because again, I had not seen this movie before, before today. And, and I really didn't do any kind of reading up or just didn't know a lot about it outside of it had Rondo Hatton in it. And so when I saw the titles and, you know, it said, producer's releasing company i was kind of i was like i thought this was universal and of course i see all the names attached to it i'm like sure this was universal and but then as the movie yeah. goes on and and i same thing popped out to me is like i don't really recognize a lot of these these sets i'm like well, maybe it wasn't universal <laughs> yeah 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 i you know and that's true too like the sets themselves like the street sets and stuff i just think I think they were finding, you know, stuff to film on the on the back lot in other places. And I think I think that they were lucky in being able to film, you know, mostly when the creeper's stalking around. It's nighttime, obviously, so you can limit what you can see and you can play with the shadows. You can do all sorts of stuff. So um uh anyway, so so Jimmy goes to deliver the groceries, um he hands them through a door, the creeper hands him some money through a door with his gigantic hand. <laughs> and um uh Jimmy's on to something, so he's he's suspicious because he's been listening to the radio about the, the creeper, so he knows all about the creeper, man. Um, so young Jimmy's, uh, excuse me, curiosity gets the best of him, and he goes around the other side of this tenement little whatever I don't know whatever it is these these storage containers. Uh, peeks through peeks through uh, some musty glass and sees the creeper there, like you know, organizing his larder with his bread and his and his cheese and everything he bought. Um, we have some great shots of the creeper kind of looking out the corner of his eye, seeing yes. that this youngster is spying on him and knowing what's going on. So, and he kind of, there's a loose board and he creeps through the 
through the wall basically to to come back around young jimmy and that's all she wrote for young jimmy uh creepers takes care of him and and i will say that I, I think the movie does a good job here because i think a a character like jimmy that you're introduced to and he, you can tell he's 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 got a little bit of life inside of him and he's young and and good looking yeah. and all that stuff you you don't necessarily get the impression that he's going to be killed within the first four minutes of <laughs> of, of seeing him and uh they introduce this whole character and he's got this funny banter with the, the yeah. his boss and everything and then like shh, done it's true you're totally right i hadn't thought about that um and maybe that scene makes makes the death makes his death seem a little more horrific i don't know it does um, it, uh, at least a little yeah. surprising it's, it's almost like how uh you know in the in the chorus films how you you'll get these recurring and beloved characters killed off in in the next movie and it makes you yeah makes you feel a little unsettled because it's like, well, if he can kill this person, then he could probably kill anybody. And that's, right, that's right. kind nobody's, of what they're safe. Yeah. What, what kind of the sense you got here is that, okay, the creeper does not mess around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Totally. Um, yeah. This, and this interior set where it's all lit by like, you know, they're, they're under basically under the boardwalk. So the boards don't line up perfectly. So it's all lit by these slashing lights, just these little thin slices of light that shine through the roof above. And, you know, th- this set was definitely designed by, for someone, for a budget, for a production that had some budget and they, they, they got to use it, which is more power to them. That's brilliant. Um, cause it's a great creepy scene. Uh, so, uh, there's, there's a lot of newspaper stuff. The, the mayor, is mad at the police commissioner for not solving this line of murders. Uh, the police yeah. commissioner is mad at now, like the the you know the cap the police captain, uh, Captain Donnelly is is the guy we we mostly spend our time with on on the film because uh, Captain Donnelly seems to not be doing any making any progress on the murders. And now and now um, there's there's they're going to have discovered another murder when once the police go looking for Jimmy because the old man who runs the store calls the police and says oh you know hey, my, my, my delivery boy hasn't come back um and and we cut back to the creeper sitting there he's in there like making lunch for himself on the stove the and body Jimmy's there. body yeah. is just laying right do you notice that too it's just like okay I, I also I wanted to point out because I I laughed uh pretty loud um so at the scene where uh back at the store and the the older lady you know says to the to the storekeeper and she's like well, are you gonna have the rest of my order delivered and he's like well yeah but the uh you know the boy's been away for for yeah. two hours and she goes well you know how those youngers are they 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 never stay focused on their work anymore and this was in 1945 and then it, it just it made me chuckle because it, it seems like the older generation says that about <laughs> About the about every young about generation. the ever, every yeah, younger yeah. one, you know. I, I can remember my right. uh, my parents giving me trouble when I first started working about something, and now when I go into a, like a, a store or something and I see an employee with like AirPods or something, and I think hey, that's distracting. Get that out of your ear. It's <laughs> you know, like you, you, I'm doing it too. You dang kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back in 1997, when I had my first job, yeah. you know, yeah, right. Like back when I was working at Blockbuster Video, we never were allowed to wear our AirPods. Exactly. Back in my day. Back in my uh, day. I do. You know what? I think. I think you're right. I think it's just. It's just a generational thing. And but I also think, like, frankly, 25 year olds are just more often than not not very focused <laughs> yeah. on what they're trying. What they're inherently doing, not they're focused, focused on work. On yeah. And I think that's just the natural for being 25. Yeah. Because. Uh, I think as we get older, we get more accustomed to just like, well, this is it. I guess I'll focus on it. 
I don't know. <laughs> Some of us do. Um, uh, the so they the police do go and um and they've got this call to investigate uh uh from the the old shopkeeper guy uh, and he tells them where the where the boy went so they go and they whoever and the creeper hears him coming and kind of there's this whole bit where they the cops are walking around the boardwalk and the creep the creeper Rondo Hatton is is climbing around underneath um and there's a there's a lot of stuff in this movie from based on House of Horrors and uh one of the two the other films i've seen ron O'Hadden and i kind of always thought ron hadden was his the afflictions that he dealt with limited his ability to move very well i always thought he was very i thought it, it handicapped him to the point where he was kind of stiff and and had a little trouble doing anything kind of that required flexibility let's say um this movie i mean it looks like he struggles a little bit but but he's th- this fire escape that the Ron O'Han climbs up about 16 times in the movie <laughs> to get to the blind woman's head. I mean, the fire escape should have gotten second billing in this movie. The fire escape is in so many scenes in this movie and poor Rondo is climbing up it like every 10 minutes to see his, his, you know, this girl he likes. It's, and and I think it's actually him, him doing it because that's, I know no, you can see too. he's lifting his own weight up yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, you know, so, so he still had, a, and this scene in the dock, like I was saying, is he's kind of climbing around, like the framework of the thing underneath it and, and, you know, trying to listen in on them and not be seen and all this stuff like that. So, so Ron O'Han definitely still had a certain amount of, you know, agility uh, at this point in in his life towards, we're obviously very close to the end of Ron O'Han's life watching him in this movie right now, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, no, really like, you know, he, he could move around, but, but yeah, that I'm telling you that fire escape, that it's like the fire escape is actually the creepers main nemesis in this movie. It's not the cops. It's, it's this, this, God dang fire escape. He's got to cl- climb up all the time. <laughs> it's just, uh, climb up the fire escape again. I'm sure, I'm sure Crow T robot made a joke about that at some point in, in their version of it. I'll have to go back and listen to the mystery science theater version of it. Cause I remember it being pretty, pretty spot on is they just, they're just doing every time he's walking around and they're like, what you doing tonight? Creeping, you know, <laughs> just, just yeah. creeping. Um, uh, so when the cops investigate and search the creepers, squad let's keep calling it that uh they find they find some stuff they find a newspaper clipping uh an old newspaper clipping and it's a picture of this guy named hal moffat who's this handsome young strapping young gentleman um and he's he's pictured with these two people the scots um uh clifford scott and virginia scott um and they're like "Ooh, this is the captain he's like "Ooh." a clue, you know, because he's, yeah. he's, he's under, remember, he's under pressure from the commissioner to, you know, try and figure out who's doing all these killings and stuff. And, and the, they do make a point, like, you know, the commissioner and the, there's the guy who's like the mayor's assistant or something like that. They're, they're, they're in trouble. The commission, the, I should say the commissioner and the, and whatever, he's in trouble with the mayor. So he's after, he he's on top of the captain to like, you know, it all rolls downhill, as they say. Like, he's on top of the captain to, like, find these murders. He doesn't seem as concerned the fact that people are dying, right? It, right. It's really, like, yeah. it's it's like his job is on the line. That's really his, his the impetus behind him putting pressure on, on the captain. And they, they kind of make a subtle point of that. It's not really like, oh, my God, we've got to stop him before he kills anybody else. It's like, we got to save our jobs, man. Yeah, it's, you know, public opinion that says this, and it could cost you your job. Exactly. Like, oh, well, I guess I better I better start acting. <laughs> Oh, I guess I guess I should stop someone from killing that if it means my job's on the line. Let me stop um, playing cards while uh, there's a murderer loose. <laughs> yes. So, uh, 
it's it's good. So he does, uh, but but he does some good detective work. He he finds his clue, and so his next stop is to the Scotts' house, and he meets uh, Clifford Scott, uh, played by Tom Neal, and uh, Clifford Scott's wife uh, Virginia, who's played by Jan Wiley. Um, and I don't know either of those people from any other Universal, at least Universal horror stuff. So I don't either. That says to me maybe they didn't do a lot of the horror stuff. Yeah the the only the only one that I outside of Oscar O'Shea and Jane Adams that I recognize was the uh, police captain. Um, right. Don McBride. I think he was also in a very similar, if not the same role in the mummy's tomb. I could, I could see, I could see him being cast in the same kind of role quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a young, like inspector or Lieutenant or something like that. who's kind of taller, younger guy um, who, who sort of just walks around doing what the captain tells him to do, but kind of is his, mean whatever and that guy's got a he, he he's he's got a moment at the end of the movie we'll we'll hold off on that um uh there's some good uh uh headline zoom ins in this movie like you know it's a, the the typical thing where they do that you know they show the newspaper and they zoom in they kind of crash zoom in on the headline like you know creeper kills fourth person or something like that there's some good ones in this like i just want to say like I don't know if that was a different department that did that at Universal, where they're just—it's just—it's just a department that takes newspapers and and films the the zoom ins on the newspapers to show the headlines of who's been killed. I don't know if that's their job or not, but um, again, they the the police go to to uh the, to the Scots, um, and here's where we learn the history of the creeper. That we learn that he was a guy named Hal Moffat. We learn that he and Clifford were both kind of competing for the affections of Virginia, and Virginia was kind of more into Clifford, but Hal, who was the foot big football star, kind of like, kind of a don't take no for an answer kind of guy a little bit, and he keeps kind of like interfering in their relationship. So Clifford, who's the brains of the two, and and Hal's the bronze, the football player, uh. Clifford purposely sets him up to 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 make a fool of himself and fail a chemistry test, which means Hal has to. And this this little plot is not my favorite part. Of the movie. <laughs> so Hal has to Hal has to stay after school, basically, even though they're in college. He has to stay after and like do yeah. some further experiments. <laughs> yeah, he basically has detention in college, which I don't know if was a thing even in the forties. Um, uh, and and Clifford and. Virginia walk past him waving out the window like, hee, 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 we're going off on our date and you have to stay and stuff. And Clifford's real proud of himself. And Howe gets so mad, he throws chemicals on the floor and it bursts into smoke. And apparently it causes whatever turns the actor who who plays the handsome young version of Hal Moffat into Rondo Hatton. Yes. Um, so I'll tell you what, I, I've got to say, there's a reason I... I, I think this. I think the 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 the, the backstory is a little contrived uh, and and a little prosaic or whatever. I don't know. It's just it's just kind of uh, it's convenient. I also I'm not sure I love knowing how the creeper became the creeper. I kind of when I, until I'd seen this movie and I only knew the creeper character as the House of Horrors character. I just like the idea that the creeper was the creeper. Like it, it's just yeah. he just looked like that. That's who he was. Um, it's that thing where giving him an origin story and 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 showing that he was kind of a, a jerk in the beginning, like even before this happened to him. And even, even knowing that he was a normal person who now looks this way. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, it, it's fine. It's, it's the story. It's, it's what it is. But I, uh, 
Um, I just always liked the idea that the creeper was just the creeper and he, he did what he did. I don't know about you. What do you think? Yeah, it, it kind of, so it, it follows, I think they're trying to, in some way, I think really Universal has lost a lot of steam by, by the, at this point. Um, but mm-hmm. I think they were trying to essentially recreate something akin to, uh, Claude Rains in the Phantom of the Opera, which is, you know, he, oh, he was, hmm. he was kind of okay. spurned and he's got this now accident that leaves him disfigured. Um, and as a result, he kills people. Um, but right. to your point, it, I mean, I don't know. It, in some ways, it, it's, it's not terrible because there is no pure innocent person in this story because, um, you know, Hal is not obviously he he's got a temper and and he's got some yeah. some anger management issues and you know both he he's in two people interested in the same girl and you know that that usually never works out well but you know I think back to like when we were wa- talking about the Mad Ghoul and how you know with, with Turin Bay and Evelyn Anchors and how they never necessarily rubbed their relationship into you know the mad ghoul's face or or anything like yes. that um or here you have and you can call it college age antics or whatnot but here you have two people who knew that Hal liked her and knew that that she was she was not choosing Hal and they set him up to to make him look like a fool you know knowing that right. he has anger issues knowing that he's He's he wants to be with this woman, and so it's there's a it's just one big shade of gray, and and I think it makes yeah it makes the yeah. characters fairly complex, especially as as the movie plays out, and you see that Hal still has some good inside of him and, and some right some natural loving Humanity. tendencies, yeah, but then at the yeah. same time he doesn't so. <laughs> Right, right, right. Then he's got this other side. It, no, uh, you know what? To your point, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That, that it, everyone has a good side and a bad side in 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 obviously real life, and 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 then within the context of this film, it does make the film a little bit more noirish. Then you know, yes. Um, uh, but it does take it because I'd always sort of imagine the creeper as a Frankenstein monster type character who who was the way he was through no fault of his own, and. And then that, the way society treats him because of his appearance is what does turn him into a monster, does turn him into a killer. Um, now we have this film and it, it kind of, it kind of reboots my, my own, uh, thinking of the character, um, in that, in that the way he looks is his own fault really now in this film. We, we see it like it was, whether, whether he didn't intend it this way, but it is his fault. He, he's the one who threw the thing down and blew himself up and, there you go. Um, but I, I also think it is, again, we, you know, Livia, we, we were just talking about this on one of the other episodes was like, the, um, there's always, there, there's a craving on Universal's part to usually have a, at least a vaguely believable scientific explanation to whatever is uncanny or, or in, you know, not, not quite normal or inhuman or something in their, their films. And whether it's, you know, the mad ghoul or, uh, you yes. know, Frankenstein monster or, or, uh, uh, jungle woman, you know, uh, there's always this idea of like, and, and again, even this one, they talk about glands, they go back to the glands thing, which was, it definitely was a favorite a mainstay. Of theirs, yes. <laughs> uh, to, yeah. To, uh, to, to use as an explanation. And, and 
to be honest, like that, that was Rondo Hatton's issue. Yeah, was, it actually glandular, was. Yes. It's a glandular <laughs> disorder. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're not too far off. But the idea that the chemicals he did uh, hurt him, but they also uh, affect his glands. So the chemicals that your glands are releasing that that make you look the way you do and make you act the way you do and all this stuff like that, that it affects that. And stuff. so um, there you go. It's, it's, so that, that's why uh, the, the, the creeper looks like the way he is. So we're back to, um, uh, uh, you know, back from the flashback, the, the cops are like, well, we're going to, you know, he, so, so, so the, so the first lady we saw um, uh, murdered in, in the film, the Joan character or whatever, uh, she was also sort of their mutual friend too, but and she liked she liked Hal, but Hal didn't like her. So so she's the first one we see the creeper kill. Uh, he's also killed the professor, the science professor that made him stay after school that day, yeah. <laughs> whatever. And then I guess a couple other people. So the cops are like, "We're gonna put a cop, a policeman outside your door." He tells to the to the Scots, the um, Clifford in Virginia, and they're like, "Oh, do you think that was necessary?" And the cops like, "Yeah, he's he's coming for you. He's killed <laughs> yeah. everybody else involved in this thing." he kind of plays it down a little bit, but the cops are like, no, he's definitely coming for these two. Yeah. Like, they're, they're the ones actually responsible for, for what it is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it, it's kind of like a, I mean, I guess it points back to that, that aloofness that they had, you know, and even setting him up, you know, it's like, they don't realize, and, and here they are. And literally that whole inner circle is all killed off except for them. Yeah. And, and yes. it's like, they're totally, just ignorant to that idea, like, oh, we're in danger. Right. <laughs> why? Why would that? Why would anyone ever hurt us? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of an acknowledgement of like, you know, we did play. The, the cop even kind of calls him. I was like, you know, you did play a little part in this. So, yeah, uh, I'd watch out. Um, and they're right because he is going to come after him. Um, the creeper goes back and sees Helen again, and this is where we have this thing where she she really would like to touch his his face and get to know him, and he's like, "No, don't touch my face." Um, uh, I think I think you could, I mean, I think some people would watch this and think Ron Hatton was a, was not a very good actor, but I the other stuff I've seen him in makes me think I think Ron Hatton was playing a character in this. I think that some of the the very hesitant, uh, uh, flat delivery. Uh, that that he's doing in this film and that he does in in House of Horrors is I how he interpreted the character and yeah. there's and now we see this idea like like it definitely I think what happened to to Hal with the chemicals affected him mentally too so the creepers he's not inc- he's kind of clever but not he's lost a lot of maybe some of his cognitive ability like he's just not the f- quickest. Yeah, uh, fastest tool tool in the shed, sharpest sharpest fastest. tool in the shed. Yeah, <laughs> he probably is not the fastest, fastest tool in the, tool in the shed. shed. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of lacking cognition, um, geez. Uh, yeah, so he has this very, you know, deadpan talk kind of thing, and I, I, I think it's I think it's how he chose to to do this bit. And sadly, we don't have like interviews with. I would. I mean, it'd be amazing if we could find like, a, like a press interview with with. Rondo Haddon and, oh, yes. and here here Rondo just speaking as as himself because he was an incredible he was a very intelligent guy he was a sports writer for a, a publication he was you know I mean he was he was obviously like a erudite fella in in real life so you know this is I think him you know inhabiting what what this character is um again he so he goes back to see Helen again um so it turns out so Helen needs some money uh or Helen there's a chance that Helen's 
uh, vision could be fixed. The, the creeper hasn't figured out, going back to the cognition thing, the creeper hasn't figured out that she's blind. He, he, this, it takes like two visits or maybe in three before he's like, why aren't you afraid of me? Because, oh, he, okay, he's, <laughs> he steals, he steals a, a brooch for her. Yes. Um, maybe I'm getting the times he visits her mixed up, but anyway, he, he steals a brooch for her. Um, uh, from from the pawn shop, and this is where he, he the guy he doesn't like the way the guy looks at him, so he kills him. Um, and he tries to just bring her something pretty. Uh, so he definitely is, you know, there's this, there's a little bit of a courtship thing happening, or I guess we we could call it that. Um, um, and and he's like, why don't you like it, you know? And she's like, well, I can't see it, I'm blind. And and the creeper has not figured out at this point that that she, the fact that she doesn't look at him, and the fact that she doesn't, you know, just the way she moves. Um. And but it turns out that that Helen's vision could be fixed for uh, two to three thousand um, dollars with this operation, which is you know two to three thousand dollars back then. I don't I I don't have my calculator next to me, but it, I it, I think it that like, you, you could add a zero to that, and that would probably be close to yeah you know, yeah that'd be on the low end of what they're talking zeros, about for, yeah. for what it would be now. Yeah, yeah, maybe two. Yeah, I, know, so I just um, I, I just read an article about. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s dog Moose, and that he had uh, in the forties, he had he had essentially rented Moose out at twenty five dollars a day to the studio, and the author, when adjusted for inflation, said today that would be about four hundred and thirty nine dollars. <laughs> so, Jeez. it it's no it's a good day rate. Yes, it's no no surprise that a, a three thousand dollar surgery in nineteen forty five yeah would likely be a forty thousand dollar surgery uh yeah. in twenty twenty two. Yes. Yeah ab- absolutely so so it's quite a bit of money. Um so from this uh uh from this uh the creeper kind of the creeper now has a bit of a mission. Uh he's Hal let's let's call him um has a mission. He he's going he's gonna figure out a way to get Helen uh the money that to, to get her surgery. Um, uh, so there's, again, like you were saying, Livia, like there's this altruistic side of the creeper now. So, you know, here he's not just, he's not just a killer. He's, you know, he's, he's got dimension and, and that is nice to see, um, the, the light and the dark. Uh, yes. His, his plan though, to, to, to do it is he goes to the Scott's house, um, and he's going to, try and get them to give him money. He's going to kind of intimidate them into getting money. So he, we have this whole, and, and this might be one of the more, this might be one of my more, more favorite parts, like at least sequences in the film is where he's, again, there's a cop outside the Scott's house and he's guarding it. And the, you know, the creeper like darts past him, goes around the side, goes through the, the, you know, window door thing for the basement stocks up. There's cool music and stuff, right? I mean, it's, and we see good shadows and everything and he's avoiding the cop watching him and stuff. And, and it's, it's good. He's stalking. And I think the, the, the creeper is most scary when he's stalking, not, not when he's actually killing you, when he's actually like coming at you. Right. Yes, exactly. And it's a, it's, it's a real good setup and you can, you can sense kind of the, I guess the anticipation um, you know, uh-huh. as it happens and, and they, it, I mean, this, for, for this movie being what it is, it, it, it does so many things very, very well. And, and, right. and this scene is, is really one of them because it's not, not too over the top, but it's also played out just enough to where you still get the, like I said, that, that anticipation and that little bit of unsettling feeling of, 
he's coming into the house and now these characters, whether you like them or not, are in very mortal danger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, so many films that are made for small budgets, um, they, they race through stuff. And this one, the pacing is very good. It, it, the, the story takes its time, um, for a film that's, that's not that, that long, um, in, in its runtime. Uh, they let it, they let it build. And, and they also do this thing where like, it, you know, it's funny when, when Helen's telling the creeper, like, well, I just know I just need some money. And he's like, how much? Like, like, it, you know what's going to happen. Like it, 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 it's not being too cagey there, right? It's like, it's like yeah. you're like, oh, here we go. All right, <laughs> you know, we're going to do this creeper because this is what we're here for. We are here for the to see the creeper do some creeping. Um, he does. He 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 gets into uh, Virginia's bedroom uh, and confronts her and tell reveals that he's how and she's like, you're how? Like she can't believe what happened. So you know, Virginia's not a bad person and i don't think she probably you know it was clifford that kind of pulled the dirty trick on on yeah. how back in the day and virginia was kind of there i don't think she like requited his affections for her but um you know we could argue that she's maybe of of the anyone the, the most innocent uh uh but he you know he he tells her like i need money and she's like well okay i don't have any money in the house but we do have some jewels just then clifford comes home and comes up and she's like he's like you know call him upstairs so she calls him upstairs clifford comes up and then you know we all reveal here's the creeper um the 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 jewels are in a wall safe and inside the wall safe they're inside like this little metal box um and the keys in the desk so clifford's got to get the get the 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 safe open then he's got to get take the box to the thing take the keys out um uh and then you know and the keys in the drawer of the desk and then as he's pulling it out he spins around with a gun and shoots the creeper like from about a foot and a half away in the groin (laughs) too is what it looks like it looks an awful lot i was just getting there it looks an awful lot he shoots him right in the groin um uh, which is good because it's a blank gun, and it'd be it would have been bad if he shot it at, <laughs> yeah. at Ron O'Hadden in the face from that distance. That would Ron O'Hadden would have gotten a face full of wadding and stuff. Um, so I think that was kind of a, a stay safety stunt move. But there's there's an agonizing moment where the creeper like sinks to his knees, and you see, um, because Rondo doesn't do a lot of expressiveness with his face. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what even expressiveness he really quite had at this point um uh, what ability he had to move his face but he when ron O'Han really goes for an emotion really makes this agonizing expression it's uh it's quite terrifying yes it it's, is you're like wow okay i mean it's like i got shot in the nuts uh, <laughs> it's the uh, same expression uh, we'd all make had we also been shot in the nuts <laughs> I, I, I mean i mean yeah if you were in that same situation. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a cheap shot. I I, I don't know if, if <laughs> it, it, it's a, we're not really supposed to be on the creeper's side, right? Cause he's, he's doing bad things, but it's a universal monster. So we're kind of on his side too. It's, this is the thing universal does. It creates a sympathy for their, yeah. their monsters. So that whether it's the Wolfman or a creature from the Black Lagoon, Family Opera, Mummy, what have you, um, 
not so much Dracula. Uh, you do sympathize for them. We were talking about Dracula is the one you're like, hey, he's, he's just kind of a jerk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't um, really make him sympathetic until like the the 70s when they introduced the whole lost love angle. But that was, see, that was see, Jack I, I think that's not it. Lugosi. <laughs> right. Yeah. Then you bring it in and then, and then you know, double down on it with like Gary Oldman. And yes. now, now he's like this tragic, Byronic kind of figure exactly. as opposed to this ghoul. Uh, yeah. It's the rehabilitation of the Dracula myth. But, uh, but, um, but just having you know mentioned that we do we do sympathize for the creeper we 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 get what it's like to be him i think a little bit we get that he's ostracized from society and we get that he's uh like a, like an outsider and and we 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 get that he does have this one pure mission now um is is to now now once he got the jewels was he going to probably kill virginia and cliff probably right i mean i feel like that was coming yeah, probably so. So Clifford's move is in self-defense, I think. It is, and, and uh, it's, I mean, so I will say that the the action here is done very well. I mean, you can you can kind of tell that it, it's coming, but yeah, yeah, you see, like you said, you see the agony on his face, on the creeper's face. Yeah, when yeah. he falls down, and it's not a. It's not like an over-the-top, you know, he doesn't, like, jump up and fly back or anything. I mean, it's like a slow, like, oh, I'm hurt, and, you know, he's right. down and that. Sinks down, yeah. And he, he lays there for a little while, and but then his, when when he kneels down over him, you know, and then his hands just, it, they move quickly. <laughs> they do move very quickly. They rise up. Rise mm-hmm. up and just grab him, and then you're like, oh, we got him. <laughs> Because that's my other thing. It's like then when when you realize he's not dead and he raises and he strangles him, you're kind of like, yeah, go for you're like like you're. I find myself rooting for the creeper, and I'm like, why am I rooting for the creeper? It's very strange, and I it is. I think to some degree I'm rooting for Rondo Haddon. Like I think I talked about this in the Spider Woman episode. It's like I think I just like Rondo so much that I kind of want to see Rondo succeed, and and I can kind of put aside the idea that he's playing this character who's not a very nice person and something i don't know but it's just like yeah you go buddy um so he does he he comes back and he and he he throttles uh uh clifford to death in a in a very similar way to the way we see him kill martin kozlak in the end of house of horrors where yes. um uh clifford's the the, the character is off screen and we just see we see the creeper's face as he's he's choking him to death and you know the we see the hatred and the the whatever and stuff so um yeah, so that's the end of Clifford. Uh, Virginia go- has gone down to get the cops. She comes back and finds Clifford lying there dead and the creeper gone, but they find uh, bloodstains. So it, it the, the creeper definitely <laughs> has been wounded yeah. in, in an undetermined part below the waist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's natural. You'd probably bleed a lot had you, again, been shot in the groin. Um, right, right. I will say that yeah. it, it, it was a little frustrating to me because... I would think that uh, Virginia, as well as the police officer, would have a little bit more of a sense of urgency of, hey, the creeper's here, and my husband just shot him, because she kind of just yeah. kind of trots down the stairs and, like, slowly opens the door and is like, hello, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, what, right. She's so, think, like, she's so mannerly, like, uh, the creeper's upstairs, my husband just shot him. You might want to go check, take, yeah. you know, take a look. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. like, lady, yeah, your, yeah, your husband's right. being killed right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, it's because he can't make any noise because he's his airway is choked off. So yeah, uh, <clears throat> um, the <laughs> shot in the groin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's horrendous. Um, so, so, so now and this is what I'm saying. Like the creeper one more time, he goes back to Helen's and, and he has to, now he has to climb this fire escape after being shot having just been yeah. shot too. So, so now it's like really hard to watch poor Ron O'Hadden's trying to get up the, uh, the thing and hold lifting up his body weight and trying to get a leg up a thing. And then like, he, there's a space where like the, the ladder's really close to the wall of the building and poor Ron O'Han's got to squeeze himself through and, and he's in these shoulder pads through the- <laughs> And he actually, it, on the, the close-ups, you see his face is still kind of in that pain of this this really hurts. And so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's playing it. As, he, as he's walking down the, the sidewalk towards it, you can see he's limping horribly. Yes. So, so yeah, he's badly... He's... Okay, I see he's holding kind of his lower abdomen to the right side, kind of almost like where your appendix would be. So maybe that's, but, but then, oh no, no, now I see there's a bullet hole in his leg. So, uh, if this, if this film was available in, in, on Blu-ray, I think uh, we could, we could end this discussion yes. and, 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 and resolve precisely where the creeper was shot. But, um, well, uh, for my own purposes, a, I'm going to say he was shot in the groin. <laughs> just shot in the groin. Cause no, no other, no other, uh, no other universal film went there. This film's got football and guys shot in the you know what. Um it's hey, it's good uh Wolfman music when he's strangling uh uh Clifford though, right? Like yes, the, it is. that whole Wolfman theme comes in like real strong. There's not a lot of identifiable music from other films that I noticed in this, but that 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 obviously stands out quite a bit like that da 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 da. Yeah. Yep. Um uh so yeah, so uh he goes to Helen um, and he gives her the jewels. Um, the the, and she's like, "What are these? How did you get these?" He's like, "Just take these, sell these, sell these jewels, and get your operation." This is this is him finally at the end, like kind of trying to do the right thing, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and we kind of, I mean, I was watching this and I, I hadn't seen it, you know, in quite some time, and and I was like, "Is this the end of the movie?" I can't remember what happens. And then you realize there's this kind of uh, coda type thing that goes on where. Helen, having been given the jewels, takes them to a jeweler to have them yeah. appraised, uh, to sell them. And the jeweler has a list of what was stolen from the Scots. Um, and they're like topaz earrings and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, jewelry stuff. Um, that of course matches. So the cops know, um, where she got him and the cops bring her in and, you know, they're kind of putting some pressure on Helen. Like you realize you're like, you're an accessory to this. And she's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what's going on. Cause she's again, totally innocent Yeah, to the point, to the point of like real naivete. I mean, let's, we can call, call it what it is. Um, uh, um, and so the next thing, you know, the, the, the newsboys on the corner are like blind woman helps, you know, identify the creeper. Uh, they make a big deal of it and you kind it of is. think that the cops sort of like accidentally let that slip that, yeah. that she's it, she informed on them and you're kind of like because earlier i've skipped it there's a bit early on where the the captain they they have the information on the scots and the captain doesn't tell his superior the commissioner and the captain's subordinate says why didn't you tell the commissioner he's like you think i want to tell them and have them like put out a press release and you know claim all the whatever and, and scare the creeper away because so the captain doesn't trust that the commissioner won't release important information for his own good you know yeah <laughs> to make it look like he's accomplishing something so <clears throat> so for a minute we 
I think that that moment's nice because that gives us this worry that, oh my God, the cops just ratted out Helen and we know what the creeper does to people who, who betray him. And sure enough, here's the creeper like here and you know, he buys a newspaper from the kid and he's like, oh, you know, no, 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 girl, blind woman betrays. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's almost frustrating. I, I, I got frustrated because uh, I mean, it's just literally every headline, blind girl spills beans, you know, strange friendship, you know, blind girl helping confesses right. to, and then it was like the guy selling the newspapers on the corner, you know, he's like yelling at blind girl rats out creeper. <laughs> and, and yeah. It, yeah. You're like, Oh, they sold her out. This is really not a good idea. And then you realize that there was a reason yes. that, that all that information was released because, because the, the, the creeper, you know, one more time goes, goes, goes over to Helen's and he's, uh, you know, she's sitting there playing piano and it's a great scene where, Oh man, she's she's playing and she doesn't hear him come in and here he comes and he comes up the oh, he comes up that fire escape. Damn. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you the cover the cover painting of the movie should have been Ron O'Hadden and a fire escape. It's, but his groin is apparently better now, so <laughs> he does that's one thing. He does seem to have like recovered from the gunshot. I don't know if he was able to like get the bullet out or if it was just a minor wound or it just went in and out or it didn't hit anything vital. Uh, or what but yeah he seems to be having a better time now so who knows but you know he also that might be the glandular thing he's really strong he's really he is struggling up the ladder a yes. little bit so you know okay um but he uh comes in the window and and helen's in there playing and and here comes the creeper up behind her and his hands come up and you realize that he's gonna kill her like that's his goal like he's going to he feels like she betrayed him and he's gonna he's gonna kill the one good thing in his life and that's sort of the critical failing of his character yeah. right here at the end of the movie. You're like, okay, well, it turns out, it turns out that the darkness inside the creeper it, it, it controls everything. And in the end of the day, uh, uh, he's a murderer and that's just what he is. So it's, 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 it's a shame. It's kind of a little more, bit of a moralistic tale. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it, it's tragic because you, you, it, there's heartbreak for both of those characters for, right. For, right. For, um, Helen and then for for Hal, for the creeper, because yeah. you know, he, he oh, just yeah. feels betrayed and he feels like he's you know, he had this person that wasn't afraid of him, a person that he wanted to help and he, he was, you know, in his mind he he's like, I'm I'm trying to give you the means to go get this surgery to to right. you know, help you and fix your life and and this is what you've done to me, you know, just like everybody else. Yeah. And, and you know, it yeah, it, yeah. It, so you can in a way, you can identify the the pain of, of both characters, and then she's thinking, you know, and, and a, so two things that I wanted to say about this thing is one is when she's playing the piano and he's coming up behind her very slowly. That scene is done so wonderfully. I mean, it is so right. suspenseful because he's very slow coming up. Is you just hear the piano playing, you know, you don't hear like you big loud over the top music or anything yes. like that, and, and just the way that it's cut and and shot, how it goes back and forth between kind of the back of her head and and as he's he's coming up, it's based on it's, it's, everything he's done this whole movie, you know, all, all the everyone he's killed, and and you think generally think she is going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Hitchcockian. It it's is. really, it's really good. And, and yeah. but I also wanted to say, you know, obviously they, you, the police come in at the last minute, and you, you see that it's, it was kind of a setup, and then it makes yeah. sense 
you know, with all the headlines about the blind girl does this and and things like that. Right. Um, they, 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 she let herself be used as bait. Yes. And, but she is so sad about it. I mean, she, she, she yeah. there's no, she's not happy that they caught him. She's not happy that she did that. She even, like, the first thing she says is, right. You know, I wonder what he thinks because he trusted me. And, and you can tell that really, really bothers her. And that's, that's probably the most, the tragic thing about this movie is that you had two people that, if the circumstances were completely different, they could have gotten along. You know, they, they could have, she was mm-hmm. accepting of him. He was nice to her and it, it was a genuine connection. But because of everything else that's happened, that has to be destroyed now. And it's just, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. She, she could have gotten him, uh, you know, to stop his, uh, bad habit of breaking people's spines. Um, uh, it's, but I mean, again, it, it goes back to, it's like, it's like, the the brighter Frankenstein scene with the blind hermit where you could you're watching this and you could imagine an alternative outcome where these two just go off and live happily somewhere you know yes or just you know he just he gets a job in a warehouse loading stuff and you know stops breaking people's spines and she (laughs) plays piano for him and you know and they and they live happily ever after and and the movie being the type of movie it is it's like I mean you 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 wouldn't you couldn't have a 42 minute long bride of frankenstein where where the monster and the blind hermit just live happily ever after and just you know hang out for the rest of their <laughs> <Yeah>. lives <laughs> and that's the end of the movie obviously something bad has something has to go wrong there has to be a monkey wrench thrown in and 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 um and of course that's this movie except it's much less random it's not like john carradine the hunter just shows up and says that's the monster you know <laughs> like in bride of frankenstein it's it's the it it holds true like the character it the movie's so good cuz the, the 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 creeper's character arc is very consistent he with the exception of the fact that he gets shot and kind of seems to get better a little bit um he, he he is what he is and he doesn't betray that he's got different sides to his personality but at the end he returns to the thing we know him to be and and he is he's a killer and that's just that is what he is and it's sad but it's it's true and i think that's why it resonates pretty well and it, what you said is so right about how she helen is so upset that she had to betray this friend of hers um she's upset for a little while until the younger policeman decides to take her home but we'll get to that in just a second <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> um she's so sad she had to do this but i think she's also sad that it's the case it's sad, she's sad that he's a killer she's sad that that he wasn't a better person she's sad that you know what and she said, knowing that he was probably coming to kill her too. Like, yeah. like she's just, uh, it's like just the, the sadness of life. She's so suffused with it. She's, that's why she, she is, she's just an amazing character. She's like a, she's like a, a symbol almost. She's very like iconic. It's very cool. Absolutely. And, and for, for a little tiny, you know, crimey noir movie. And, and I think right? most of us could identify or have on some level experienced where we've encountered somebody in our lives that you thought they were one thing and then it comes out that they, right. they were something completely different and turns out they're snapping people's spines yeah you know turns they they murder people in a very yeah, vicious you way wonder, you wonder but but to your point like you wonder about your own judgment you're like how did i how did i fall for that person? like that's so interesting you're so right like yeah and that's when that's when these movies for what for is as, you know kind of outlandish as they are and 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 you know horror, horror aside and and all the 
all the noirish elements and, you know, Inspector Krogh and Lightning Bolts and Igor and and Renfield and everything. All these movies, they, they, they hit so well when even the monstrous characters we see like a reflection of our world in them, you yes. know? And, and, it, and it's what really, again, we talk about this. It's what separates these films so much from, from the other films of the era made by other studios that, that didn't follow this kind of particular type of formula and their monsters weren't enviable, like, or weren't understandable or weren't uh, uh, compassion. I love, Mystery of the Wax Museum so much as, as a film. I, I, I think Lionel was great in it. You know, we did a whole episode on it just earlier this year. I, I adore the film. I think it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking by Michael Curtiz. You're never really on the, 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 the mad the doctor's side in that. You're never really on Lionel Iowa's side. You, he's, he's just kind of a ghoul. He, he's not, you, you're never, you're never pushed towards sympathy for him. Um, and that doesn't make the film less entertaining, but it do, it doesn't have it doesn't let it have the same spark as, as say Phantom of the Opera, the Claude Rains yeah. you know, version, it, it is, or, or the or the Cheney version for that matter. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, the, it's what Universal did, and, and they did it better than everybody else. Yeah, it it is Universal's secret recipe, which is human right, humanizing right. these characters, and, and yeah, you know it it goes back to the Hunchback of Notre Dame and the Phantom of the Opera. You know, for Lon yes. Chaney Senior, you know, you you sympathize. With those characters, they did bad things, but you still sympathize with them, and right, right. and you, they you see the person in there, yeah. right? And and they injected that sense of humanity and relatability in nearly every other character. I mean, you know, the mummy was somebody who loved somebody so much that that he you know spent yeah. three thousand yeah. years you know waiting for her. You know, the right. Wolfman was just a victim of circumstance. You know, e- even the the lesser known ones. You know, the Mad Ghoul was was a guy that just was in the wrong place yeah. at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, yeah. man man made monster. Yeah. You know, um, even House of Horrors, where arguably Martin Kozlak is really the villain. You know, he's he's driven to that by you know circumstance and by um, you know his own his own personal issues and and things. So again, yeah. You know, people do make bad choices, and sometimes they betray us, and sometimes they steal things, and sometimes they break our spines. But, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> um, that's it. So, so yeah. Anyway, yeah. We're like we said, it's it's the it's their secret sauce, um, and it, and it's what they did better than everybody else. Um, we do have this little coda where it turns out that the police have somehow raised money or figured out a fund, or someone's going to pay for. Helen's surgery after all. So she's going to get her eyes fixed, hopefully. So that'll, that'll work out. Um, and, and I guess the implication is that the captain is sort of interested in her, but then his younger Lieutenant guy sort of swoops in and he's like, I'll walk you home, Helen. And kind of like snatches it away. This, there's a little bit of like a ham handed thing here at the end. Uh, <clears throat> that's kind of tagged on in, I guess in an effort to like give you a little laugh as you, walk out of the the theater um which is good because it the 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 other ending where she where helen's just like hanging over her piano weeping is is maybe not the way you want to go out uh yeah. go into credits <laughs> and have the people walk out um so so this 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 does this universal thing of like wrapping up in this kind of wry you know sort of i'll just call it cornball kind of way of of, of ending but um you know it it it's it's what it is, and it gives it another minute or two. So, but but it, so it does work out for Helen. So good for her. 
Yeah, uh, Jane she Adams' right character thing. meets a much better ending here than she does in House of Dracula. That's <laughs> that's for sure. She she <laughs> she does, which we'll be we'll be talking about later this year. So I can't I can't wait to hear. Yeah, she she's really something. She's great in this. She's great in that. She's just just a spark of empathy that she 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 brings out of the viewers. Really something. So yeah. Anyway, uh, and those that's that is the Brute Man from 1946. I'm. Uh, I'm I'm so I'm again I always talk about this but I am I'm so I'm so happy we got to talk about this one because it's uh um it's kind of been on my list and it's just uh again we talk about you know the bride bride of Frankenstein and creature from Black Lagoon don't need the Borgo Pass Horror Podcasts help to raise awareness that they exist they have legions of fans uh across the globe and 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 uh, across the decades um yeah these little ones like like. Mad Ghoul and Brute Man and 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 Spider Woman Strikes Back and stuff. I feel like like are a little lesser known and, and need a little bit of a champion. So hopefully we can like just raise awareness on them, absolutely, just a little bit. Uh, I like to try to suggest to people where to find these lesser uh, available ones. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, at at the end of the show, just just in case I've, I've piqued somebody's interest in them. Again, this one uh, I found on Amazon. Someone I think they sell them on their. Uh, uh, made on demand because again it's, yeah. it's PRC it's not universal so universal doesn't have the rights to it and I don't believe PRC exists anymore so to, public domain as far as I can understand this is in public domain yeah, yeah. so so uh, while I as a as a creator myself I, I don't really endorse downloading or pirating in any case this being something that's in public domain I wouldn't be surprised if it's available somewhere out there on the internet uh to be to be uh downloaded and and enjoyed or at least streamed somewhere so uh hey you know if 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 no laws are broken you know by all means go for it if 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 you feel like uh uh giving a look because it's worth it it's great it is and and I, i will say that amazon does have quite a bit of public domain videos available for streaming i've seen yeah quite a few you know from the 50s and 60s to to this era as well um, so right. like a lot of serials and, and, and things like that. So, um, it's worth, cool. it's worth a Google search to type in the brute man. You'll, you'll, you'll find something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. So, and, and, and I think, I think now that I've, I've done the episode, I'm ready to sit down and, and watch the Mystery Science Theater one again. <laughs> so now to, now to just finish off the, the palette and stuff like this. So this is, this is, you know, this, it's funny. We're really, except for the Abner Costello movies, like we're here in 1946 you know, we get to about what? When's when's House of Dracula? It's forty forty five. I honestly, I I was gonna 45. was gonna bring this up. I think this is the last, uh, yeah, Universal horror from from that second forty cycle from you know nineteen thirty nine up to forty six. I, I, I really think this is the nadir of of it bef- before the Abbott Costello kind of like like wake it up again just a little bit. Yeah, but even then, they they don't go back and make that many more. They don't really go back and make Universal monster movies after that. It's just the monsters keep showing up and yeah, make Costello movies. movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I mean, and <laughs> somebody will have to get to most of those. We've only done Je- Meet Jekyll and Hyde so far. Um, uh, I want to, I want to hold off on Abbott Costello Meet Frankenstein as long as I can because it is. I'm not saying it's the best Universal 
horror movie ever, but it's it's my maybe my favorite because it's the one I saw first. I I just posted a a thing on the on the Instagram and Facebook pages about what was everybody's first Universal film, and we got an unprecedented amount of responses. Yes, it was great uh, for 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 a post that we don't normally get that much engagement. I'm, I'm going to try and do more stuff like that because I think it's fun hearing everybody's. You know, some people it's like Creature from Black Lagoon. There's a lot of Dracula, a lot of Frankenstein, some mummies, uh, some weird random ones. It's really interesting. A lot of people who who read the orange books first, yeah, like. I did and then saw the movies. That's that's how I did it. Um uh um late night people seeing on like late night chiller TV and stuff. It's it's really cool. And then a lot of responses saying it was happening cost me Frankenstein, which is which is my case. So but yeah, here we are right at this is the end and, and Universal becomes a Universal International and um you know things the the landscape changes quite a bit. But luckily we still have a couple dozen films to go back and, and talk about uh, still within the, the, the prime era of the, the thirties and forties with, uh, with, with Livio and, and me. So look forward to those uh, in the, in the coming weeks. Absolutely. So, everybody. Thanks very much. Uh, my voice is starting to go. So I guess it's time to finish <laughs> up about uh, talking about the brew, man. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, again, um, big props to Rondo Hatton. This is, it's, it's always great seeing him in a, in a, in a, in a movie. Um, uh, we've got a couple more of his coming up, so we'll, we'll be mentioning him uh, a few more times. Uh, this is Jim Towns. I appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much for another episode of Borgo Password Podcast. Thank you, Livio, uh, for chatting with me on this one. Of course. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Gould. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.